You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome back to the Buckeye Breakdown Podcast, where Ohio State is getting ready, uh, ready for week three. Ready for week three. <laughs> uh, and we are looking forward to hosting the uh, Tulsa Golden Hurricane uh, at the Ohio Stadium uh, on, on Saturday afternoon in what should be uh, certainly a game that maybe the Buckeyes are, uh, are, are anxious to get back out there and play because of the way last week went. Um, it, it's, it's been a frustrating week. For Ohio State, considering the uh, the disappointing loss to Oregon, uh, and so now all attention is on Tulsa because it's time to try to correct some of the issues the Buckeyes have been facing. And to give us a better breakdown of exactly what to expect when the Tulsa Golden Hurricane come to town, we turn to Brandon Hart, who's our resident expert on uh, on all things Tulsa. He's covered Tulsa athletics for more than a dozen years, and uh, looking forward to having a, a nice conversation with him. So, Brandon, thanks for taking some time and. And uh, looking forward to hosting you guys here this weekend. Yeah, appreciate it. Let's uh, let's maybe just dive in. You know, ten thousand foot view. Uh, this is a Tulsa team that last year had a nice little stretch at one point, one six games in a row. Um, obviously, your your best player defensively is no longer with the team because he's he's in the NFL now. But um, I, I think there's still some pieces of this team that are left from last year's team. Do you take any credence from what happened during a 2020 season that was so chaotic anyways uh, and is now far enough behind you? Do, do you take any credence from what was accomplished last year when looking at you know the team's uh, prognostications for this year? Well, I mean, it's, it depends on – I guess you could say it depends on who you ask. I mean, as far as Tulsa fans go, they're real excited. I mean, they made it to the conference championship game and were a field goal away of winning the conference championship and winning at Cincinnati. It was a top-10 team and just – it was it really built momentum for good expectations for this coming year for the 2021 season. But when you looked at the preseason polls for the the conference, I mean, they're kind of middle of the pack. And so it kind of just depends on who you ask about that. But I feel like people in the city are more we're more excited coming into this season than uh, maybe the the nation was at large. How about uh, from a coaching perspective before we dive in on individual players? You know, Philip Montgomery's been there for a little bit now, and he's had a chance to to build a bit of a program. Um, for for Ohio State fans who haven't followed Tulsa closely, you know, what are some of the hallmarks of his teams, and and what is he like as a head coach? Well, he comes from Baylor. He was a, the Baylor offensive coordinator before coming to Tulsa, and so you would think, okay, it's going to be a offensive minded team, but at least this season, I feel like it's the defense that's really shined, and um, they've been really into both games in the UC Davis game and the Oklahoma State game. They played Oklahoma State close last year, and I feel like it was the defense that really did a lot of things. And a lot of things with that last year came down to, you know, Zabin Collins and uh, the work that Joe Gillespie, the defensive coordinator, has done. He's been great since coming to Tulsa as well. But it's it's one of those things where you would think, oh, they're going to be this high-flying offense and all that. And at times they can be, but – it, I feel like at least this season and the last season as well, it's it's been the defense that's really been maybe a bit surprising, but it's something that they can 
build a reputation on. So the games uh, that have been played already during which the offense has outgained both UC Davis and Oklahoma State, you think that's more because of the good defensive effort than the offense really taking off? I would say so. I mean, as far as with the quarterback in Davis brand, he's a little inexperienced, and so he's still kind of getting his feet wet. Um, He had a great game against, uh, I guess, half a game, you could say, against Tulane last year where uh, people got real excited that he was going to be the quarterback for this year and just based on the great comeback that they had against Tulane uh, when the top two quarterbacks went down and he was the third string and came in and just kind of lit it up. And he, he's been decent. Um, he's made a couple of mistakes here and there, but he's, he's someone who I don't feel like he's not going to lose you the game. You know, he's going to be someone that can, I don't know, just he, he's someone that's maybe a bit of a game manager a bit um, until he can really, get his feet wet and kind of let it fly, you know? Well, the last couple of years, uh, you've certainly had uh, a good stable of running backs and, you know, that can always help a young and inexperienced quarterback. And while this year, um, you know, Shamari Brooks is still, I guess, coming back from the the ACL injury that he suffered. Uh, you you know what you got with him. He's a really talented guy. Uh, and Daneric Prince, if, excuse me if I didn't say that correctly. Yeah, right. Daneric Prince is um, – you know, off to a really nice start. He's he's got almost 200 rushing yards in two games and uh, a couple of touchdowns. Um, you know, h- how how impressive have the running backs been so far in these first couple games? It, it's good to see that Brooks has been able to come back. I mean, he's a, a top five rusher in Tulsa history. I mean, it, and a senior, and so it, it's good to see that he has been someone that has been able to come back from an injury and doesn't seem to have any lingering effects. And then when you have Daenerys Prince as well, it's nice to have a, a one-two punch when someone's a little gassed after, you know, playing five plays in a row, you can bring the other one in and it, there's really no, there's no step down when that happens. It, it's a really good one-two punch for them. Well, the Buckeyes have certainly seen a couple of pretty good running back uh, tandems so far. I, well, I guess week one, it wasn't much of a tandem. It was just Mohamed Ibrahim from Minnesota last week. Uh, the, the combination of C.J. Verdell and, and Travis Dye was uh, was challenging, and as was Oregon's scheme. Um, so I, I'm certain Ohio State is taking the uh, the desire to stop the run is has got to be at the top of the list of uh, things they want to accomplish this week. But – uh, they can't take lightly on the outside what Keelan Stokes has done because it looks like this guy, every time he touches the ball, whether it's as a returner, as a receiver, um, when, whenever he finds a way to get his hands on it, he's pretty dangerous. Yeah, he's one of those that just has that home run ability, that he's got that big play ability. And like like you said, whether it's returning kicks and or returning, uh, or I guess, uh, receiving, you know, and it's it's not just getting past the defender and catching it in stride and running for a touchdown, which he obviously can do, but he can do it in space too. I mean, if he catches a short pass, he's, he's got the ability to, to break a tackle or two and, and take it to the house. Offensively. What, what do you think is the big strength? I mean, if, if the Buckeye fans who again, probably haven't watched much Tulsa this year, if, if they're going to turn the game on or be at the game on Saturday, what, what's going to stand out to them right away about the way Tulsa's offense operates? I would say it's it's the running game. They feel like I mean you got the Daneric Prince. He's averaging six yards a carry. I mean Shamari Brooks is averaging over over five. So it's it's I feel like it's the running game and uh, the offensive line. A lot of those guys are back from last year. They have a a freshman All American at left tackle that obviously is now a sophomore from last year. 
So, I mean, they have a lot of great players on that offensive line, and that just helps that those running backs, obviously, just uh, be able to get five, six yards a carry like they do. Brandon Hart, who's been covering Tulsa for uh, over a dozen years, joining us here on the Buckeye Breakdown Podcast. We're behind enemy lines on Wednesdays, talking about Ohio State's upcoming opponent with someone who knows them well. Uh, let's jump to the other side of the ball, where, where you have referenced a couple times that this defense has been uh, better than maybe even expected. Um, why don't we start with the one guy who isn't there because he's the most recognizable name uh, on defense in recent history for Tulsa, a unanimous first-team All-American last year. Zaven Collins was uh, the national college football defensive player of the year. He won the Bednarik Award. He won the, the uh, Nagurski Award. I mean, this guy was a real deal, and there's a reason he's playing NFL football right now. But if there's any way to measure what kind of impact he left on the program, can you maybe explain a little bit of that? Man, I mean, halfway through the season, uh, Coach Montgomery said during one of the post-game press conferences, he said no one that he has seen throughout the whole year has affected college football games more than Zayden Collins had. And it's true. I mean, I referenced that two-lane game. He had a pick six in overtime that ended the game. And just it was play after play after play like that. And when he said that, he was kind of referencing that maybe he should have been a Heisman Trophy candidate as being the best college football player. And obviously those don't go to defensive players very much, but uh, he really deserved being the defensive player of the year for college football. He he was someone that was good in coverage and he was good against the run. I mean, he was, he was good in every single phase that you would like your linebacker to be at. And so – He's a, a huge hole, and he was a guy that was – he's from Oklahoma, from a very small town in Oklahoma, and it was just nice to see that it was someone from that walk of life could succeed like he did and be, you know, a first-round pick. I want to say that I saw – maybe it was pro football focus. I can't remember where I saw it, but he was the highest-rated defensive player for week one in the NFL last week. And just that – it's great to see that – he has carried that over into the NFL. And so far, you know, obviously it's been just one week, but it's seen good success there. Uh, he is the pride of the Golden Hurricane for sure. And uh, I think I may have read this correctly. He's the first unanimous first team All-American from Tulsa since 1965. So it's been quite a while since the Golden Hurricane had a guy of, uh, of his caliber. And, you know, he's the kind of player that you build statues for uh, and, and, and or name buildings after for sure. So I would imagine Zayvon Collins is going to be uh, closely tied to the Golden Hurricane program the rest of his career. Yeah, I would not be surprised if they do something along those lines for him at some point in his life. Let, let's talk about the guys that are there. Maybe uh, we start with with Kendaren Ray, who's had a really good start to the year with 19 tackles. Um, he, he has a quarterback hurry, but g give us an idea of sort of his skill set, what he brings to the defense. I mean, it's it's tackling. I mean, he has, like you said, what was it, 19 tackles this year, and that's fourth in the country through these first two weeks or so. And but the problem is, is that he's going to be sitting out the first first half of this game because he had a a targeting penalty, which was a bit controversial against Oklahoma State. It was it was on a running play that the guy got a first down, and he you know ducked his head and put it into his shoulder pad helmet area and. They called him for targeting, and, of course, they review it, and they say, okay, yeah, he's going to be ejected, and so he has to sit out the first half of, of the Ohio State game. And so it's going to be tough that, that Tulsa's going to have to replace someone like him in the secondary when he's been so good, especially tackling, and and that helps you know with the safeties 
you know, they're called a safety for a reason. So it, to have that last line of defense be a, a tackler like he is, it's going to be tough to not give up those big plays against a team like Ohio State. Well, the Buckeyes uh, certainly need to to find some tackling and and uh, some back end of the defense help. Uh, so I, I think Ohio State fans can uh, kind of sympathize with the with the challenges that uh, Tulsa is going to deal with in the first half. I'm I'm glad you mentioned the targeting thing. I should have set it up that way. Um, Johans Burnett, uh, another guy who's had a really good start to the season. What do you like about him? Yeah, he's just a, a guy that can you know kind of create havoc all over the field too. I mean, he's someone that has been kind of just everything you you ask for from a defensive player like him. He's, he's someone that kind of just goes about workman mentality type of thing. He's, he's, he's been really good so far too. But the defensive line uh, ability to, you know, rush the passer, get after the quarterback tackles for loss, things like that. I mean, sometimes, sometimes you can't always judge their success rate based on, uh, you know, the, the stats, but considering they did play a power five team last week in Oklahoma state, what was your impression of the way they controlled the line of scrimmage or, or tried to penetrate, get into the backfield? Well, when you talk about the the defensive line, the person you got to think about is, is Jackson player. He's uh, he's number 90. He's, and again, like you said, defensive lines, they don't really get a whole lot of the stats because of what their job is. And his job is to clog up that, that line. And he's getting double teamed constantly, but he's someone that's on those, watch award list for defensive players and defensive linemen, that sort of thing. But he is the one to really look out for. And it's, it's funny just because you look at him and he's this guy that if you were making the defensive lineman in Madden or something like that, that's the type of player he is. He's just this big dude that can just clog up those holes. And the fact that his name is player, it's like you, you make this player and then you forgot to change the name. And so <laughs> it's his player on the back of his Jersey, but he, and he is that he is a player out there. Uh, looking forward to, to seeing him this weekend. Um, I, I want to maybe go big picture with you here for a minute. You know, Tulsa's right in the heart of Big 12 country. Um, and obviously a, a proud member of the American Athletic Conference, which in a lot of different sports has been a really good league. Um, you know, and, and from a football perspective, they've generated some fairly competitive, good football teams on the national level. Obviously, right now, Cincinnati's the one that kind of has everybody's attention because they've got a legitimate chance, especially with Georgia beating Clemson and Ohio State losing to Oregon. Um, if Cincinnati runs the table, including wins over Indiana and Notre Dame, they got a legit shot to make the college football playoff this year. Um so I, I guess my question for you is because of the, the unique geographical place that, that you're in, um, there's been a lot of changes around college football and the Big 12 has, has been right at the heart of it. Give us an idea of what life is like right now in the American Athletic Conference, um, especially with schools like Cincinnati and UCF you know, leaving for the Big 12. I mean, it's, it's, it's really interesting because of – here in Tulsa, you have Oklahoma fans, you have Oklahoma State fans, you have Tulsa fans. And the Oklahoma fans, they're all excited about going to the SEC and everything that comes with that. The OSU fans, they're mad at the Oklahoma uh, Oklahoma fans for, for leaving them. I mean, Big Brother has left, and they're kind of just left out in the cold. And with uh, those two teams leaving, that put them down to eight. And so there was worry, okay, is the Big 12 going to go away? Is West Virginia going to join the ACC? Is is Iowa State going to join the Big Ten? I mean, it was it was a lot up in the air there for a moment. And then with the three teams coming from the American and also BYU going to the Big 12, Oklahoma State can kind of breathe a sigh of relief and say, okay, we're going to stay where we're at. 
we're going to get still get to play the teams that we know. We still get to play, you know, Kansas and Kansas State and uh, Texas Tech, those sort of teams that everyone's familiar with. But then you have Tulsa, who, I mean, the Big 12 doesn't need Tulsa. I mean, they kind of have that market already with, with Oklahoma State. I don't think that Tulsa was ever really an option to join the Big 12, even though it would work geographically. And that's about it, is it would work geographically. I mean, Tulsa is the smallest enrollment in all of FBS. Uh, they only have about three to 4,000 students, which kind of surprises some people. You think you know, people hear of the city of Tulsa and stuff, but they just don't realize that the school itself is really that small. And so, but as far as the teams leaving the American and how that affects Tulsa, it's, I mean, it's teams that they really enjoyed playing. I mean, it was with Houston leaving. It's, it's a team that that's really been a big rival of theirs in, in several different sports, be it uh, football and basketball and, and soccer. I mean, just all these different sports that they have this rivalry with, with Houston and their proximity to, to Houston, as far as uh, the other teams in the American. I mean, it's not going halfway across the country, going to, Central Florida, South Florida, Temple, that sort of thing. So it's it'll be real interesting to see what the American does to replace those three teams, what they want to do with that. Do they do they try to go even bigger and try to get to 16 teams? I mean, it'll be really interesting to see what the American does as this next domino as, as far as conference realignment goes. Yeah, I think there's some element of you don't want to overreact, but you know, when three of your best programs uh, and best universities have been pilfered away. I, I think it has certainly left the American in a, in a tough spot. Um, and that's on top of the fact that they lost UConn, you know, recently because UConn wanted to go back to the big East. Um, but that, that league has a, a geographical footprint that makes sense to nobody, but it's a lot of fun, you know, stops. I mean, a few years ago, you're talking about, you know, schools that are in UCF's in Orlando, USF's in Tampa, Tulane in New Orleans, SMU in Dallas, Houston, Tulsa, University of Memphis. You know, East Carolina is kind of in the middle of nowhere in, in North Carolina, but University of Cincinnati. I mean, like some Temples in Philadelphia. Yeah, but Temple in Philadelphia, right? Um, you know, you've you've got some some schools in some you know pretty good cities, and I can see the the you know reason for uh, a conference like that working because. Um, you know, you've got a bunch of programs that are all kind of on the cusp of being power five schools, but maybe not quite there. Um, but by the same token, you don't, you know, you don't really want to water down your product um, if you lose schools like Cincinnati and Houston and, and UCF. So I, as just a college football fan, I'm interested to see what the, what the league does because uh, I'm not entirely sure which schools make a boatload of sense to join uh to join the American, but uh, I hope they figure it out because it's, it's a good league and I'm sure, you know, well, it's, it's very competitive. Yeah. I really wonder what <clears throat> geographically, at least what they're going to try to do. Are they going to try to add a team in Texas? I mean, be it try to stay in Houston and, and add rice to, to still have that market. Are they going to try to go and be more of an East coast? Are they going to try to add teams from, from the Carolinas and say Appalachian state or Charlotte and at another big city, like, like they have with, you know, Memphis and temple and, and all the, and Tampa with USF, like, are they going to add another city school? So to speak with, with Charlotte, I mean, it could be, it, it's, it'll be really interesting. Are they going to do something like UAB then I mean, that a lot of these teams have come from conference USA. So it'd be interesting to see if they take one of those teams that are in conference USA that a lot of these 
teams have had games with in the past when they were all in the same conference together. Marshall would be another one that would be uh, kind of in that same sort of uh, situation. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Let's uh, let's get back to, uh, just to kind of wrap things up with this game in particular. Um, you know, I, I recognize that Tulsa is not going to be a, a favorite by any stretch in the in the imagination for this game, um, but I still think they're a worthy opponent for for Ohio State. Uh, and you know, if you're a Buckeye fan right now, still kind of reeling after the Oregon loss. You know, the good news for Ohio State is you're playing Tulsa and Akron, Rutgers and Maryland the next four weeks, and so the Buckeyes feel like they can kind of maybe get their feet back underneath them. Um, if you're a Tulsa fan watching this, how would you define success against Ohio State? Is it something on the scoreboard? Is it statistical? Is it you know just something that you see? How, how would you define success this weekend for Tulsa? I, I want it to be competitive. You know, I, I don't want it to be – I feel like they've played just once before, and I want to say it was something 48-3 to three or something like that. And and it was close at the beginning of the game, and, and then it was two pick sixes that kind of blew the game out of the water and at the end of the first half. But you just hope that they don't make mistakes that are preventable. You know, I mean, Ohio State, they're going to make great plays on both sides of the ball. You just hope to minimize those. You, you hope you don't have uh, – some dumb turnovers. They've had some turnovers this year and some of them have been really unlucky and some unlucky spots and that have kind of defined the the two games so far. But you you hope it's not necessarily the score wise. I mean, you'd, you'd hope it'd be it beat the spread, you could say. But uh, I, w- I just would think that it's let's not beat ourselves. Let's make Ohio State beat us. We'll see if the Buckeyes and uh, Golden Hurricane can put on an entertaining product on Saturday afternoon, 3.30 Eastern time from the Horseshoe in Columbus. As you mentioned, the second all-time meeting between Tulsa and Ohio State. The first one was uh, just about five years ago, 2016, uh, in a game that actually, if I remember correctly, had a pretty lengthy lightning delay before the start of the second half. Yeah, Ohio State uh, started to run away with it. Brandon Hart, thank you so much. Appreciate your time and your insight. And uh, looking forward to this weekend's game. Thanks. Appreciate it.